Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 9. Previously, on Pride and Prejudice, we met the Bennet family, which includes Mr. and Mrs. Bennet and their five daughters. The main ones we care about the most, I think, are Elizabeth as our main character and her elder sister Jane, who is her best friend. We also meet the Lucases, who are their closest neighbors and friends, uh, specifically the, one of the daughters of the family, Charlotte Lucas, who is Lizzie's best friend, other than Jane. And we meet the new men in town. We have Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy and Mr. Bingley's sisters all come to town and set off all of this stuff that's going on um, because, of course, Mrs. Bennet wants her daughters to marry Mr. Bingley or one of her daughters to marry Mr. Bingley. She doesn't really seem to care which one as long as one of them does. However, they all meet at a dance. Everybody loves Mr. Bingley. Everybody hates Mr. Darcy. It's a whole thing. Jane and Mr. Bingley hit it off very quickly. And Jane and Mr. Bingley seem to be falling in love with each other. And everyone wants to help support that, I suppose. And then Jane gets invited to have dinner at Netherfield. And Mrs. Bennet has some weird plan that because it's going to rain later that if she sends Jane over on horseback then she won't be able to ride home in the rain and so she'll have to spend the night and the plan works a little too good because Jane ends up riding there in the rain and gets all wet and gets sick and then now is sick and stuck at Netherfield so the next day Elizabeth walks over to Netherfield to see her sister and has more not so great interactions with Mr. Darcy good interactions with Mr. Bingley and shows off that Mr. Bingley's sisters are still jerks. And that is where we have left off with Jane and Elizabeth still staying at Netherfield, still stuck there. Jane's still sick and we shall see what comes along in chapter nine. Right, so chapter nine starts right back up again with Elizabeth and Jane at Netherfield. It says that Elizabeth spent most of the night in her sister's room. Um, so I'm thinking that means that she didn't really sleep. She's stayed up most of the night taking care of her sister and making sure her sister's comfortable. Um, and first thing in the morning, Mr. Bingley sends a maid to check on how Jane is doing. And then... A good bit later, it said sometimes afterwards, um, the sisters, the Bingley sisters, sent their ladies' maids to come and find out how she was doing. So it just kind of shows the difference again between the brother and the sisters in that Bingley clearly was up early and wanting to know that information versus the sisters who, whether it's just internally, I tend to take it as a, I mean, you could just read it as they like sleep in later because they think they're fancier. Um, which would be a town thing to do, right? Like the higher echelon people stay up later, get up later in the morning. Um, so it could be showing that Bingley is just more of accustomed, I guess, to sort of country hours to be up early in the morning. 
and his sisters are not, but I think you're also supposed to read into it a little bit more care from Mr. Bingley than his sisters, that he, like, makes a point of as soon as he's awake finding out how Jane is versus the sisters probably, you know, it's more of an afterthought later on as they're getting ready. Oh, yeah, by the way, go check on her. Um, so it shows that difference there again, I think. And um, she's... Elizabeth is able to say that Janus seems to be getting a little bit better, which is good. Um, but, and this is something that always seems weird to me. It says, in spite of this amendment, however, she requested to have a note sent to Longbourn, desiring her mother to visit Jane and from her own, and form her own judgment of the situation. This seems really strange to me because I don't understand what Lizzie thinks is going to happen. I know what does happen in this chapter, which is that Mrs. Bennet makes the fool of herself and embarrasses Lizzie. And it's good for the story that she does that. Like, but I don't understand why Elizabeth specifically, like, invites her to come do that. Because I don't see how Elizabeth thinks that it's going to go any other way. Now, on the other hand, I believe, I think that Elizabeth is hoping that, you know, the Mrs. Bennet will come, bring the carriage, and then she and Jane will get to go home. So I get that part, I guess, kind of. But I... I also don't know why Elizabeth thinks that that's going to work because like Mrs. Bennet doesn't want to take them home. So Mrs. Bennet is obviously going to fight that. Maybe G Lizzie just thinks that she can like work around her mother a little bit more than she's actually able to do. I don't know. But that always seems really strange to me. I think this whole chapter, in my opinion, would work better if Mrs. Bennet just kind of shows up on her own to come see Jane. But the fact that Elizabeth, because I do think this chapter is really good. I think it's worthwhile. I think it's entertaining to see Mrs. Bennet make a fool of herself. Um, but, like, I, said, I don't understand why Elizabeth has brought this on to herself. Like, why does Elizabeth ask her mother to come? She has to know that this is not going to go well. I don't, I don't understand. So that is something that I always, like, kind of have a question mark in my mind. It, I think that this would work better as Mrs. Bennet just kind of blundering in on her own. I don't get why Lizzie wants her to come because I think... I think that what happens next is inevitable once Mrs. Bennet shows up, and I think Lizzie should have known that. So that's always a little bit of a question mark to me. I feel like, like I said, Mrs. Bennet should have just kind of come on her own to come see her daughters, not, uh, not, not because of an invitation from Lizzie, in my opinion. Um, but there is this great quote, um, one of a really great line here when Mrs. Bennet comes in. So Mrs. Bennet comes with the two youngest girls with so kitty and lydia no mary mary apparently was busy somewhere didn't want to come but anyway but mrs bennett and her two youngest girls come and it says of the mother of mrs bennett her mom had she found jane in any apparent danger mrs bennett would have been very miserable but being satisfied on seeing her that her illness was not alarming she had no wish of her recovering immediately as her restoration to health would probably remove her from netherfield so, I mean, I just find that quote very funny that, you know, she she does actually care about her daughters. She does not want them to, you know, bad things to happen. She doesn't want Jane to die. Um, so she's happy. So she would have been very sad if Jane was actually seemed to be in danger. But because she's pretty sure that Jane's not actually in any real danger, she would like her to just linger around and be sick for a while because she wants her to stay at Netherfield as long as possible for all of her matchmaking things. And um, so therefore she's not going to listen to her daughter's proposal of being carried home, which I think is the only reasonable explanation for why Elizabeth 
invited her. She obviously was hoping to, you know, get herself and Jane on the carriage ride back to, um, back to Longbourn and get out of Netherfield. But I think that's a very big miscalculation on Lizzie's part. I think it's very, it's very in character that Mrs. Bennet would not do that and would fight against it. And I think, again, Elizabeth should have known that. I think that this was a pretty big judgment error on Lizzie's part. She should not have invited his mother over. But in any case, that's what happens. Mrs. Bennet refuses to take Jane home, and she gets the apothecary, Mr. Jones, to agree um, that he didn't think it was a good idea for Jane to move. Well, it, that's my interpretation. The book does not say that. It just says that he agrees that Jane should not go. Um, but I kind of think, in my, my headcanon of this story, is that Mrs. Bennet helps to encourage the apothecary to agree with her. Um, and saying that he, that Jane should not be moved. Um, so after that little interaction, Miss Bingley comes and invites them all down to the breakfast parlor where, so they're able to see Mr. Bingley because he obviously can't come to Jane's room. That would be scandalous. So that's another flaw in Mrs. Bennett's whole thing. So she's got Jane at Netherfield recuperating so that she can spend time with Mr. Bingley. But she can't actually spend any time with Mr. Bingley. The only person spending any time with any of these people is, is Lizzie. Because Jane is sick and in her room. And so Mr. Bingley can't go see an unmarried lady in her room. Like, that's completely inappropriate. And in her, like, not fully dressed and all of that. So Jane is not seeing Mr. Bingley at all. I mean, they could, like, theoretically pass notes or something through servants. Um, but they're not actually physically seeing each other through any of this time, which is something that at least one of the adaptations gets weirdly wrong, where they have, like, Mr. Bingley in the sick room, which I find very strange. That is completely inappropriate and I don't think would happen. Um, so that seems another weird part of Mrs. Bennet's plan because Jane, yeah, she's at Netherfield, but she's not actually spending any time with Mr. Bingley. So I don't know what she thinks she's accomplishing. But again, there we are. Mrs. Bennet is Mrs. Bennet. Um, so Mrs. Bennet comes down and she's going on and on about how Jane is still so sick. Um, it's, it's pretty epic what she goes through here. She comes down and she says that Jane is much worse than she expected. She's a great deal too ill to be moved. Mr. Jones, who's the apothecary, says, we must not think of moving her. We must trespass a little longer on your kindness. And Mr. Bingley agrees that she should stay. And Miss Bingley sort of, with cold civility, so I read that as grudgingly, agrees with him that, yes, Miss Bing, that um, you may depend upon it, madam, said Miss Bingley with cold civility, that Miss Bennet shall receive every possible attention while she remains with us. And Mrs. Bennet was profuse in her acknowledgments. And then we have this huge paragraph of, like, run-on talking of just Mrs. Bennet. She says, I am sure, she added, if it, were not such, if it was not for such good friends, I do not know what would become of her, for she is very ill indeed, and suffers a vast deal, though with the greatest patience in the world, which is always the way with her, for she has, without exception, the sweetest temper I ever met with. I often tell my other girls, they are nothing to her. You have a sweet room here, Mr. Bingley, and a charming prospect over the, that gravel walk. I do not know a place in the country that is equal to Netherfield. You will not think of quitting it in a hurry, I hope, not that, ugh, though you have but a short lease. That's all her just 
rambling through. And then uh, Bingley says something that I think is pretty foreshadowy of what will happen later. He says, whatever I do is done in a hurry. And therefore, if I should resolve to quit Netherfield, I should probably probably be off in five minutes. At present, however, I consider myself as quite fixed here. And I think that's foreshadowy because that's kind of what happens later, right? Like he just up and leaves without any notice to anyone. He just is gone. And he expected to come back, but he doesn't come back for months and months and months and closes the house up and everything. So, I mean, he's correct. That's what he does do. So he, he knows himself, at least from that sense. But I think it's interesting that we get that kind of foreshadowing of what is going to happen after the ball. Anyway, um, then we get the little thing where Elizabeth set, talks about how she is a study of character a studier of character and they get the weird little thing back and forth between Darcy and Mrs. Bennet where Darcy says that in the country can the country can in general supply but few subjects for such a study in a country neighborhood you move in a very confined and unvarying society and Elizabeth says but the people themselves alter so much that there is something new to be observed in them forever and I think it's interesting because Mrs. Bennet obviously is very offended by this and, like, says, you know, the country's just as good in town and we dine with five and twenty families and blah, 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 blah. And she, this is the part where she really makes a fool of herself and everybody is, like, very um, upset by what she said. Um, it even says nothing but concern for Elizabeth could enable Bingley to keep his countenance. So even Mr. Bingley is having a hard time staying polite and he is next to Jane, the politest person out there. So if even Mr. Bingley is having a hard time um, keeping his countenance, you know that Mrs. Bennet has gone off the deep end here, I think. Um, but they have this weird little thing, and I honestly don't think Darcy was trying to be mean. I really do read it the way Elizabeth does, where she's just saying the sheer number of people, there are less people in the country than there are in town, which is true. Like, cities are larger than rural areas. There are, there are just quantity-wise more people. Um, but uh, Mrs. Bennet is just taking every opportunity to be offended by Darcy because she doesn't like Darcy, which honestly Elizabeth does too throughout. So I think this is an interesting contrast where in almost every other situation, Elizabeth is the one sort of jiving off the deep end in her assumptions. So she just doesn't say them out loud and isn't rude about it as much. She's sometimes a little rude to Darcy's face, but mostly she keeps that kind of internal. It's her internal dialogue that would be rude if she had said it out loud. Mrs. Bennett doesn't have that filter, and so she just says it all out loud and is just rude to people's faces. Um, but I think it just, the fact that it says that nothing but concern for Elizabeth could enable Bingley to keep his countenance at that point. Like, if even Bingley is about to break and be rude because of how, like, ridiculous Mrs. Bennett is being, you know that she has lost her, lost her marbles. So... And it says that his sister was less delicate and directed her eye towards Mr. Darcy with a very expressive smile. And Elizabeth, for the sake of saying something that might turn her mother's thoughts, now asked her if Charlotte Lucas has been at Longbourn since her coming away. And so then we talk about Charlotte. And again, Mrs. Bennet uses this as a chance to like take a dig and say that Sir William is such an agreeable man, so much the man of fashion, so genteel and easy. He has always something to say to everybody. That is my idea of good breeding. And those persons who fancy themselves very important and never open their mouths quite mistake the matter. 
So that's another dig at Darcy, right? Like he's she's saying that Mr. or that Sir William is better bred than Mr. Darcy, which is a load of crock. That is not at all true. But, you know, Mr. William is definitely more comfortable in society, I suppose. He has he likes he has lots to say. He's more verbose than Mr. Darcy. It's basically what she's got there. And so Elizabeth is trying to keep, you know, her mother from embarrassing her, starts asking, like, oh, did Charlotte stay for dinner? Or did she dine with you? And and then again, she's all... Mrs. Bennet, of course, has to make it worse again by saying no, she would go home and saying that she was needed in the kitchen. And then we'd get a little dig on Charlotte and the Lucases saying that, you know, my daughters were brought up differently. And, you know, I have servants that can do their own work. Blah, 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 blah. So it's another one of those high society climbing kind of things that, you know, we're rich enough that our daughters don't have to do menial labor like the Lucas's daughters do. But it's, you know, it's one of those things where Mrs. Bennet again is doing this 180 because she just like a paragraph before was talking about how Sir William is the best bred of men and so great. And then she's like, well, but his daughter is nothing because, you know, her, his, she needed to show Darcy that there are better men than him. But then she needs Bingley to know that there's no better lady than Jane. So we got to go back and forth on that. There's no real consistency going on here. Um, and so she's really kind of mean here towards Charlotte, which I, I do not like because I love Charlotte. Charlotte's the best. And she says here that it is a pity they are not handsome. Not that I think Charlotte's so very plain, but then she is our particular friend. And Bingley says she seems pleasant. And then Mrs. Bennet says one of the most Mrs. Bennet things ever to be Mrs. Benneted. And she says, oh dear, yes. But you must own she is very plain. Lady Lucas herself has often said so and envied me Jane's beauty. I do not like to boast of my own child. <coughs> really? But to be sure, Jane, one does not often see anybody better looking. It is what everybody says. I do not trust my own partiality. When she was only fifteen, there was a gentleman at my brother Gardiner's in town, so much in love with her that my sister-in-law was sure he would make her an offer before we came away. But, however, he did not. Perhaps he thought her too young. However, he wrote her some verses on her, and very pretty they were. So she's just like, I just think it's hilarious that in the middle of this whole paragraph of her bragging about how beautiful Jane is, she says, I do not like to boast of my own child. Just like she likes to say, I don't like to talk. And I, you know, I don't like society. I'm like, okay, Mrs. Bennet, you are lying. Um... But then we get some great stuff from Elizabeth. She replies to this whole thing and just says, And so ended his affection. There has been many a one I fancy overcome in this way. I wonder who first discovered the efficacy of poetry in driving away love. Which I think is a very funny line. And I have, you know, you have the similar responses like Darcy does, I think, is standing in for the reader here saying, I've been used to consider poetry as the food of love. And Elizabeth replies with, Of fine, stout, healthy love it may. Everything nourishes what is strong already. But if it be only a slight, thin sort of inclination, I am convinced that one good sonnet will starve it entirely away. And this is a line that I think is really fun and, you know, gets a little bit more of that banter between Darcy and Elizabeth, which I think we get a little bit here while they're, while they're in um, staying at Netherfield. You get a little bit more of this personal interaction, which I really enjoy their conversations. I think they're fun. Um, and that... 
is entertaining. And Darcy doesn't really have a response to that. He just smiles, which is very Darcy of him. He doesn't have much to say. But I think I take that smile to mean that he's enjoying that conversation and enjoys her kind of witty repartee with him, even though he's not very good at, like, keeping the conversation going at this time. And then Elizabeth is, it says, the general pause which ensued made Elizabeth tremble lest her mother should be exposing herself again. Exposing herself meaning, like, exposing herself to ridicule, not, like, taking her clothes off, just to be clear. <laughs> Um, she longed to speak, but could think of nothing to say. And after a short silence, Mrs. Bennet began repeating her thanks to Mr. Bingley for his kindness to Jane, with an apology for troubling him also with Lizzie. So here's another thing that we learn about Mrs. Bennet, is that she cannot stand there to be silence. So everybody's silent for a minute, and Mrs. Bennet has to start yapping away and chatting away again, even though she really doesn't have anything to say. So it looks like there's a few little back and forth with this thanks between Mr. Bingley. It says he was unaffectedly civil in his answer and forced his younger sister to be civil also and say what the occasion required. And I like that the, the way they put that, that he forced his younger sister to be like that because it makes it very clear that his younger sister would prefer to be rude to Mrs. Bennet, but her brother kind of coerces her, makes her be polite to him anyway. Um, but any of, anyway, their politeness is enough for Mrs. Bennet and she calls for her carriage. She's about to leave. When Lydia, we learn a little bit more about Lydia and she comes up. So we learn now that and we, it said at the very beginning that Mrs. Bennett had brought her two youngest daughters, but they have not said anything this whole time yet. And now we get Lydia is going to talk. It says that the two girls had been whispering to each other the whole visit, which I think again shows kind of how immature they are, I suppose. Like, that's just really rude behavior. So Mrs. Bennett has been being rude with all that she's saying, but also Lydia and Kitty have been very rude this whole time by having like their own little whispered conversation in the background and not participating in like the wider conversation. So I, I think this is another way to point out how sort of immature and rude Lydia and Kitty, Kitty are in this situation. Um, and I want to just then read the description we get of Lydia because I think it's interesting. It says, Lydia was a stout, well-grown girl of 15 with a fine complexion and good-humored countenance, a favorite with her mother, whose affection had brought her into public at an early age. She had high animal spirits and a sort of natural self-consequence, which the attentions of the officers to whom her uncle's good dinners and her own easy manners recommended her had increased into assurance. So this is, I think, our first good real description of Lydia. Um, so we find that, you know, she's well-grown, girl of 15, says she's stout what i take this to mean is she's tall kind of has gone through puberty looks rather adultish kind of you know doesn't look like a kid anymore and but she, we find out she's 15 i think this is when we first find out her exact age possibly i don't know um but that she is her mom's favorite and had therefore been brought out into society earlier which is something we'll hear more about later on in the book um but I think it's worth pointing out again that it's weird that they have all these five daughters and the youngest one is only 15 and that she's already out in society. That is strange in this society. She should be, you know, still what they call in the schoolroom. Um, what mean, what they mean by coming out means that she's able to go out in society and go to all the parties and everything. It also, I mean, basically what it really means and boils down to though, is that she is considered by her family old enough to be married. 
she is out, out meaning like she is out and ready to meet men and be married. That is the goal when you're out. And so it's very unusual to have this many daughters out at once. Um, it's something that Lady Catherine will comment on when we get to meet her later. But she's correct in a sense. Like, that's weird that all five of these daughters are out. Really, it should just be Jane and Elizabeth. Maybe you could make a case for Mary. But Lydia and Kitty, I don't think, should be out at all. Um, but especially, especially Kitty. Or Lydia, not Kitty. Lydia is way too young. She should not be out um, at all. And so this is giving us kind of an explanation for why she's out in society so young. It's basically just that she's her mom's favorite and so her mom wants to take her out. Um, so that's what we learn about Lydia. Um, she's very good humored. She's well grown. She has a fine complexion. And she has high animal spirits and natural self-consequence, which has led into assurance. And that's why she's able to kind of come up to Mr. Bingley and ask him to have a ball, which she says that he had promised in the past. And he says that he will. He says, I am perfectly ready. I assure you to keep my engagement. And when your sister is recovered, you shall, if you please, name the day, very day of the ball. But you would not wish to be dancing while she is ill. And Lydia's happy enough with that, says it would be better to wait till Jane was well. And by that time, probably Captain Carter will be back anyway. And so that's better. So she, again, she's showing her kind of immaturity of like, oh yeah, it'd be great to wait for Jane. But really, she's more excited about waiting for Captain Carter to come back so we can dance with her. She doesn't really, I don't think, care about Jane at all, really, in that sense. And then she says that she's going to try to coerce Colonel Foster, Forster into having a ball as well. And... That's the end of that. Mrs. Bennet and her daughters then departed, and Elizabeth returned instantly to Jane, leaving her own and her relations' behavior to the remarks of the two ladies and Mr. Darcy. The latter of whom, however, could not be prevailed on to join their censure of her, in spite of all Miss Bingley's witticisms on fine eyes. And so here's another turning point where I think the reader is given information that Elizabeth does not have. So Lizzie is still working on the assumption that Mr. Darcy um, hates her, right? And here's another hint to us, the reader, that that is not true, that Elizabeth is wrong about that, that um, Mr. Darcy is willing to talk about her relations behavior. I'm, I'm interpreting this to mean that, Miss, that the Bingley sisters and Mr. Darcy are, are able to talk about how crazy Mrs. Bennet is and the younger sisters but Mr. Darcy would not be prevailed on to join in their censure of her, meaning Elizabeth. Um, even though Miss Bingley is, you know, teasing him about the whole fine eyes comment. So that is the end of the chapter. We get, basically this entire chapter is just Mrs. Bennet making a fool of herself in front of a potential son-in-law's. Although she only sees one potential son-in-law there and she doesn't realize she's making a complete fool out of herself, but she is. And so Elizabeth is mortified throughout this whole thing. We get a bunch of secondhand embarrassment from Elizabeth watching this train rack go down. And I am left with that same question from the very beginning. Like, why in the world did you invite your mother over? You had to know it was going to be like this. Like, just hugely miscalculating in my opinion 
such a bad decision on her part to have done this. Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have invited her mom over. Should have known better. <laughs> but she didn't. So we just get... We don't get a lot of forward progression in this chapter. I find it very entertaining because I enjoy Mrs. Bennett being around and making a fool of herself. I very much, I will admit, to having some guilty pleasure in watching the train wreck that is Mrs. Bennett. But the story doesn't progress much, right? All we really get story-wise out of this is that we learn more about how ridiculous Mrs. Bennett is. We do get confirmation that the ball is going to happen at Netherfield, which will be an important thing that comes up in future chapters. Um, and really, and then I guess we get more confirmation that Darcy likes Elizabeth, but I think we already kind of knew all this. All in all, what I'm saying is that this chapter I don't think is very meaty in um, substance. It's just sort of, so a little bit more character development. It doesn't move the story along all that much, in my opinion. But it is a very entertaining chapter, and I like it. I'm not saying that it's a bad chapter. I just don't think it really moves the plot very far. But we will come back next time for chapter 10, where the poor Bennett sisters are still trapped at Netherfield. Dun, dun, dun. See you then.